Hi, everybody. How are you doing today, or this morning, or this afternoon? Well, if you're here at LifePoint for the first time today, my name is Donnie Williams. I'm one of the pastors here, and I would love to meet you after service. Just come down front and introduce yourself when we wrap up today. So we're in this series called Faith. Simple word, uh, but you probably saw that other word that was on the screen. Uh, when you saw faith, it was like, yay, we're talking about faith and giving. Uh, man, we should have gone to that lunch I was thinking about. So these two guys uh, were shipwrecked on this really small, deserted island, and uh, one of them was really hot strung, and he was really freaking out. He was just saying to his buddy, we're going to die. Uh, the, the tide's going to come up. We're going to get eaten by sharks. We're going to drown. If that doesn't happen, we're going to starve to death. We're going to die of thirst. Something bad's going to happen. And one guy, he's just sitting by the palm tree, just calm and you know, just uh, just chilling. And he was like, you don't understand. We're going to die. And he said, look, you don't understand. I make $100,000 a week. And the guy was like, what's that got to do with anything? And he went through the whole thing. We're going to die. We're going to drown. We're going to die of starvation. We're going to die of thirst. And he said, no, no, no. You, you failed. You, you missed my point. I make $100,000 a week and I tithe. My pastor will find me. Pastors and churches sometimes get a bad rap for talking about money. And rightly so, because some talk about it in ways that are not biblical, in ways that might make it and, or does make it sound like if you want more stuff in life, if you want more material things, if you want an upgrade in your income or your house or your car or be able to do something extravagant, well, if you just give more money to me, then that will happen for you. And then they back it up with these amazing stories of, of people just being uh, showered wealth upon them because they made a decision uh, to give. That's not biblically accurate. But Jesus talked about giving and money, finances and possessions, a lot. He, he brought it up a lot of times when he was telling those stories we call parables. He would bring up money and possessions. And even when the church began in the first century, the early church talked a lot about our money and our possessions. I wonder why they did that. Well, it's probably because people had a difficult time balancing money and possessions. And if they had a difficult time then with a lot less cool stuff to buy, how much more difficult will it be for us today? I think the biggest reason that money and finances are addressed so many times in the Bible is that money has a tendency to pull our heart away from God. It has a tendency to pull us in a direction and lead us to a life that God never intended for us. And so today, as we get into the next part of this series, it's about money. It's about giving. It's about finances. It's about generosity. Because we're looking at a New Testament book called Hebrews, one particular chapter in that book, chapter 11. There's some Bibles coming down right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. They'll give you one. Those of you watching on the screen, you can also do the same thing. People will uh, hand you a Bible at our other locations, and you can follow along in there, or you can also look on the screen today 
as I read from Hebrews chapter 11. So this book of Hebrews was written to a group of people who uh, believed in Jesus, who made a big step of faith and said, we believe that Jesus, who he sa- Jesus is who he says. We want to trust in him for our salvation. So they believe in him, but over time, they start to get pulled back into their old ways of thinking and their old ways of living. And so the writer of Hebrews, scholars are not sure who wrote it, could have been the Apostle Paul, could have been one of Jesus' disciples, maybe Luke, they don't know for sure. But what is for sure is that whoever wrote these words down wanted people to know that Christ is supreme over all things, and our faith in him will help us live the life that God has for us. It will help us be fulfilled in Christ. It will help us have the full perspective of all Christ has for us. And so he talks a lot about faith. He defines faith. In fact, he defines it like this in chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So he's giving us a clearer understanding. Hey, if you're struggling, here's what faith is. Faith is taking a step without seeing what's on the other side. That's what faith is. When I decide, when we decide as a teaching team what we're going to talk about and what we're going to share on a Sunday morning for 25 or 30 minutes, it's based on what might be going on in somebody's life. It's based on us understanding and living the fullness that Christ has for each of us. And so sometimes that's about relationships. Because if you get relationships wrong, uh, your life is not going to be very fun. And so we talk about what's it look like when we have a relationship that enjoys the fullness that Christ has for all of us. And so we talk about that. What does it look like when we live a life that we have a way to overcome our bad habits and our addictions, our mistakes and our hangups and our hurts? What does a full life look like when we do that in Christ? And that's what we talk about is to help us gain more knowledge of an understanding of what a full life in Christ looks like. And when it comes to finances, it's no different. What does a life look like when we're enjoying the fullness of financial freedom that God wants for each of us? What does life look like when we put our faith and our finances together? Because our faith and our finances are connected. And that's what this writer in Hebrews is going to be talking about today. We define faith in this series as faith is the confidence that God is who he says he is and he will do what he's promised to do. In other words, when my confidence in God grows, I will have full confidence that he's who he says he is and then I'll have confidence that he's going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And when that confidence grows, it's easier to take a step of faith, even though you can't see what's on the other side. Even though you're not sure what's going to happen, your confidence is in the right place. You probably have people in your life that you place a lot of confidence in and people you don't place very much confidence in at all. You probably have friends, if you're like me, that if they tell you we're going to lunch at 1130, it might be 1130, 
but it's probably not going to be 11.30. It means they're going to think about leaving their office at 11.30. They'll start thinking about it at 11.30, and they mean ish when they give you a time, and you just know that. So if you're like me, you usually lie to them and tell them you really want to go at an earlier time than you do want to go, so they'll get there on time, so everything's okay for you, right? Anybody else do that besides me? But then there are people that if you say 11.30, they're right there. You can count on it. They're going to be knocking on the door. They're probably standing there just watching, waiting, because they're precise. And you can count on something. When they say it, they're going to do it. That's how God operates. You can count on Him. You can count on Him to help you enjoy the fullness that He has for you. A hundred percent of the time. But you only discover that by taking steps of faith. Steps of faith towards the one that is and will always do what he promised to do. And so when we read on through this chapter of faith in Hebrews 11, we start to hear about those ancients that he said were commended for their faith. He starts to put some names with these people that lived thousands of years before that demonstrated great faith. The first two that he mentions are are Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. And here is how he mentions Cain and Abel and one of their levels of faith. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by this example of faith. Well, what kind of example of faith was that? Because I want that. If, if one's offering was more acceptable to God than the other one, how can I make sure my offering is like Abel's offering? Well, to understand that, you have to back up and look at the original story that's recorded in the Old Testament book of Genesis, chapter 4, that tells the story of Cain and Abel and what these two offerings were all about, because both gave an offering. One was more acceptable than the other one. I want to give acceptable offerings to God. So I want to find out, well, what does it mean acceptable and the other not acceptable? Because both gave. Both gave God something. He accepted one and not the other. One is talked about as an example of faith. At that time, it was thousands of years. Now we're thousands upon thousands of years beyond Abel. And he still speaks to us through the ages because of his great example of faith. That's who I want to give like. So let's look at how Cain and Abel chose to give. Genesis chapter 4. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So you have a shepherd and a farmer. Cain was the farmer. He worked the soil. He grew stuff. And over time, it says that he brought an offering to God. Now, why would not God not be pleased with that offering? Well, if you really look at what it says, he sa- it says over time. It means that over the course of time, he started to bring an offering to God. And then when he did over time, when he finally got around to it, he brought some of what he had and gave it to God. In other words, he probably with his business had to take care of some things. So first, you have to, you know, well, I got to put some away because what if, the, what if a famine comes and, and all the crops die and I got to have some put away and stored just in case something bad happens? Well, I have to sell some of it and make a profit so I can take that money and put it away so I can continue 
to be a farmer. Maybe he was thinking like that. Or, hey, I got to pay myself. Let me pay myself, feed my family. It's my obligation. Let me do that first. And then he was moving over to God and saying, God, here is yours. So it wasn't a problem with how much he gave. God's issue was with the order in which he gave it. It might have been a larger, if you converted it to dollars, a larger dollar amount that Cain gave. But God was particularly interested in the order in which he gave it. It was over time, and it was some. It wasn't first. Now, here's how Abel gave. And Abel brought an offering as well, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. In fact, Cain got so angry, he got so upset, he wasn't living a generous life, and it just messed with him so much, he ended up getting so jealous of his brother, he killed him. And now he's forever known as the guy that committed the first murder recorded in the Bible, and his brother is forever known as the guy that exercised great faith. Now, when Abel gave, it says he gave fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. Now, he was a human, so he would have been thinking, well, what if a disease comes? What if the wolves break in the pens and they kill all of my animals? So maybe I better keep some back, because just in case. He didn't do that. He stepped out on faith and said, God, I'm going to come to you first. I'm going to give to you first. I'm going to prioritize my giving in such a way that you come first. And so thousands of years later, we read about followers of Christ being told, here is a great example of faith when it comes to giving. It's the person who prioritizes their giving and says, God, I give to you first. So now, understanding the whole Cain and Abel story from the book of Genesis, now let's read again from the book of Hebrews how, they, how he describes this faith offering. It was by faith, trusting in something he couldn't see, that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. So it's an example of faith that he brought this acceptable offering, which meant that he gave to God first. So how can I make sure that I am a faithful giver? How can you make sure that you are a faithful giver? Priorities. Now, we already do this. We already prioritize how we spend our money. If you have a mortgage, that's probably one of the first things that comes out because if you don't pay that, you don't have anywhere to live. And then if you have a mobile device, you pay that probably really close to the top because how could you live without that? So you make sure that you pay that. And so you already prioritize how you pay things. We wouldn't dream of calling up Wells Fargo and saying, hey, you know what? It's summertime. And we got traveling, we got sports, we got all this stuff going on, and, and I'm just going to have to lay off till September. And I'll get caught back up, no worries. They're not going to go, hey, well, thanks for letting us know that. We really appreciate it. That's not how it's going to go. Try calling AT&T saying, hey, I'm not going to pay till September 
Uh, it's been a priority, but, I, you know, right now it just, it just cannot be a priority in our lives. And they'll say, well, that's fine, uh, but you're not going to have phone service anymore. That's how it would work. Because when you stop prioritizing things, it stops happening. So when it comes to giving, when it comes to giving my finances back to God through the local church, why do so many people end up saying, well, then all the church wants is my money? I've seen that printed. I've heard people say that. All the church wants is my money, so I'm not giving it. All AT&T wants is your money, in case you didn't know that. All Wells Fargo wants is your money. That's all they care about. If, if you drive on a car lot and you buy a new car, all they wanted was your money. All they wanted to do was take your money and give you something that was worth less than the money you just gave them, and then you drive away in it. That's bottom line, that's all they care about. That's not a bad thing. It's just the reality. They just want your money. You just look at the stats of how many items are sold on Amazon every minute. It's crazy high. You know, thousands, millions of items sold every minute, all to a company that wants your money. So when it comes to the church, why does the attitude change? Well, that's all they want is my money. I'm just not going to do it. Well, you have the capacity to do it in other areas of your life, and that's not all the church wants for you. In fact, the church is not just after your money. The church should be, when it's operating the way it should be, is about helping us break the chains that finances can have on our hearts. Helping us understand what's it like to have the fullness of Christ in my life. And if there's anything in my life that pulls away from that, including money, then I need to reprioritize. So maybe some of us in here need to reprioritize when it comes to our giving. Now, now our church has a lot of people who prioritize their giving. They put it first, they prioritize, and they give, they put God first. Uh, I mean, that's what I do. My wife and I, we prioritize. We put that first. First thing, every source of income that may come in, first thing, God comes first. And you know what I've discovered over the years of doing that? We didn't always do that. What I've discovered is when I remove the percentage that we give and we give back to God, I live better and more peacefully on the percentage left over for me than if I started with me first and gave God what was left over. And that's what most people don't understand. It, it, let's say you give 10% of your income to God first. You will live better on 90% of your income to you second than you would on 100% of your income to you first. That's how it works. That's how it stretches. There's story after story of seeing how that can change people's lives. And will God just always like return money for money? No, that's not how it always works. A few years ago, several years ago, when our oldest child was just a baby, I uh, worked with college students, and one, of the, one college student I had clearly needed an automobile. They didn't have a way to get to school. They were walking. And, and so Cinda and I started talking and said, you know, we need to give one of our cars to him. Just need to give it to him. And that hurt at the time. Now, it wasn't much of a car, $3,000 or so dollar car, but it was still the way I got around. But I thought, we can make it on one for a while. Let's give it away. And so we gave him that car. And it wasn't easy. It hurt. 
but it was very helpful to this young man. Probably three weeks later, somebody out of the blue decided, I want to give you guys some money. And it was almost to the dollar what that car was worth. I was blown away. And I don't tell you that story to brag, but just to show you how God can work when we put generosity first. Several years after that, somebody handed me the keys to a car and said, it's yours. I still drive that car. It's got 200,000 miles on it. And now you're probably thinking, oh, we got to give a car away, honey. <laughs> that's how it's going to work. That may not work that way for you, but that's how it worked. The things that you don't see that are benefited by generosity. I've never met anyone who said, you know, when we got generous, that's when our life went off track. When we started really stepping up and being generous, putting God first with our finances, that's when our marriage started to fail. Nobody's ever said that to me. Nobody's ever said, you know, when we got together on our finances and started saying, God, you are going to be first. And if you're a married couple, you came together and said, we are going to prioritize. We're going to put God first. Nobody has ever said after we did that, life sucked. Why? Because God awaits with blessing for people who put him first. Because when we put in him first, we start to understand the fullness of all that we have, of all that's available to us, of what really matters in the world. Because when you start with me first, then I just want to do stuff for me. But when you start looking the other direction first, it changes your perspective on what's left for you. It even changes what you do with that. Now, if you're going to step into generosity, what does that look like? Well, it looks different for every person. It looks different for someone who's never, ever given before than someone who's given for many, many, many years. And sometimes it's a journey. We call that the generosity journey at LifePoint. We've talked about that several times in the past, what it looks like to go on a journey of generosity. And I'm going to share what that journey looks like before I wrap up in a couple of minutes. But before I do that, I want to share with you the journey that our church has been on over the past few years. So we track our stats at LifePoint. Uh, basically, we do that from uh, fall to fall. We kind of go on a, a, a fiscal year. And so over the last several years, uh, there has really been this big increase in the number of people who go to our church. And so if I look back uh, just a few falls ago, uh, the numbers would have been about right here, the people that are coming to our church, people that are engaged, people that are enjoying our children's ministry. But this group of people got together and they started to dream. They started to listen to this vision that, you know what, we don't always have to meet in a movie theater in a school. What if we, what if we put our resources together and we built a building to help reach more people? to help launch more locations of our church, to help have a kids' ministry that can really operate at full capacity on all cylinders. What if we did that? And we got together when we were much, much smaller church, and we started talking about, well, what might that look like? And we started dreaming about it, and people started reprioritizing their giving to help make that vision happen. And what happened over the next few years is things just continued to grow up and up and up in a climate where most churches in our country are in decline. Not on the, they're not increasing. They're shrinking in numbers, not growing in numbers. 
And so just since the fall, uh, we've got about a 20% increase in the number of people sitting in our seats. Just the other day, our youth pastor was telling me that just a few weeks ago, they had 200 students. 200 students. I remember when our youth group could meet in a minivan. When it was really small, just meet around a table. You know, youth group was lunch. You know, we just go to lunch, sit at Bojangles and have lunch. And that was our youth group. But 200 middle and high school students. All because back here some people said, I'm going to be committed to a mission, to a journey, and I'm going to give towards it, and we're going to continue to reach more people. Now, as at the same time this was happening, when it comes to people's level of generosity, this was happening. So that is about how the generosity has increased as the number of people engaged in our church has increased. Now those two graphs will never be right with each other because as new people, maybe you're one of those, you're still considering Christ, you're still considering is this the church I want to be a part of or not? Well, of course, you're not ready to jump in and be a big part of that mission just yet. So as, you, as people do that, uh, of course, that graph is always going to be higher than this one. But what would, hap- what would have happened if the people back here had not said, I am going to prioritize my giving. I'm going to prioritize what I bring back to God through my local church so we can make a bigger difference in the world. What if they hadn't? I don't think we would be here. I don't think we would have been there. Just this morning, there's a whole new location of our church since September in Wake Forest at the Wake Forest High School. 300 plus people meeting there every week because 18 months ago or two years ago, we started saying, what would it look like if we started another location of our church? Instead of building onto this building, we just went and started another location in Wake Forest. And we did that because of the generosity of so many. So those of you sitting in the seats at Wake Forest that just came since last September, because of people who said, I'm committed to giving first, you're here. Now, how are we going to go from here and beyond? Well, there's a gap that's got to be filled in by people who say, I want to go on a generosity journey. I want to go on the journey to help our church help more people get connected with God. I want to go on a journey that helps more kids go in our LifePoint kids and come out saying, Mom, Dad, I want to go back. i got to be a part of that. You guys do a great job at inviting your friends. But we have some work to do on everybody going on a journey of generosity to say, I'm going to step in to prioritizing my giving and putting God first when it comes to my finances. So what does that look like? So if faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he promised to do, when I apply that to my giving, How does that look? Well, it will look different for each of you. And so what we're wanting everybody to do is listen to this message and take a step. Just take one step. Start to do for others what was done for you. If you're new, especially since this building's been in existence, 2013, way back here somebody said, I'm going to give and I'm going to make that happen because I'm going to prioritize my giving put God first, not only receive blessing in my life like like I've never experienced before, I'm going to help more people get connected with God. That's what people said. Here's what, what happened. So what if everybody took a step in their journey of generosity? Here's what that would look like. 
Some of you have never given before, and that's okay. You've never given before. Maybe we haven't said something that really compels you to say, I want to be a part of that. Uh, Maybe you feel like you can't. But what I want to challenge you to do today is to become a first-time giver. And a first-time giver is somebody that simply says, I'm going to give something for the first time. First time, I'm going to give something for the first time to God, to a local church, through a local church, to help live this mission of helping people getting to know Christ. And if you're going to do that, just say, all right, I'm, I'm going to take a first step. Maybe it's dropping in cash. Maybe it's writing a check or whatever. However you can do it, just give for the first time. But some of you have already done that. So I want to challenge you to take a step into being a consistent giver. A giver that says, I will give on a consistent basis. Not just every now and then. Consistently, I'm going to bring back a portion of my income, and I'm going to give it to God through my local church to help more people get connected with God. I'm going to do for other people what was done for me when I was searching. What was done for me when I was driving by and saying, hey, I want to go to that church. Or what was done for me when somebody invited me and asked me to come to church and say, okay, I'm going to become a consistent giver. And some of you have already done that. And if that's you, I want to challenge you to become an intentional giver. An intentional giver is simply someone that says, I will plan my giving. That's when you download the app. That's when you set up the auto draft. That's when you consistently show up and write the check or drop in the cash, however you do it. But you say, I'm going to do it consistently. And you start to think about your giving as it relates to other things that you spend money on, as it relates to your mortgage, as it relates to your cable bill. And you start to think, well, if I'm going to give money to that, but I'm first going to give money to God. That's where I'm going to start. That's what an intentional giver starts to plan their giving. And then some people that have already done that, I want to challenge you to be a tithing giver. Tithing giver says, I will faithfully give 10% of my income. Now, I want you to understand that God doesn't love you more if you give 10% of your income. He doesn't have like, these are the ones that give 10% and these are the ones who don't. God is not waiting for you not to give 10% so he can like move you to the smoking section for eternity. I mean, that's not how it works. Tithing is a principle that was practiced in the Old Testament. And then when it comes into the New Testament and you hear the teachings of Jesus, he just assumed. He said things like, when you tithe. So he just assumed people would bring back a portion of their income to God. And so it's 10%. That's what a tithe means. Now, many of you have been doing that. You've been doing it for so many years and for so long that it's just a natural thing. I had a friend tell me one time, you know, I tithe and I don't even miss it. I was like, well, you know what you need to do. You know, you need to go to an amount you miss. You need to go to an amount you feel. And so what he did and what Cinda and I have done as a couple is we have decided we're going to be radical givers. And a radical giver is someone who gives beyond 10% of their income. So wherever you are today, you can take a step. No guilt, no high pressure. Just find out where you are. You determine where you are, and you take the step. If you're married, sit down with your spouse and talk about what step do we need to take to really start to demonstrate our faith in God and that we are willing to put Him first. And if you look and say, well, I'm not giving that to LifePoint, well, then I want to encourage you to do something. Find a place you can believe in the mission. 
Find a place where you can say, I believe so much in that. I will not only prioritize my giving, it's going to go right there because I see lives being changed. Just in the last year, we had 108 people baptized. Already this year, we're like 50-something. And so we're going to surpass that number this year all because you invite your friends to church. Some people come because they're invited. Some heard about it. Some were driving by on the road and said, hey, that church looks like Chipotle. I think I'm going to go and, and give it a shot and try it out. But however you got here, you got here because way back, several years ago, some people said, we want to invest in this. And so what all I'm asking you to do today is to do for others what's been done for you. In Hebrews, it goes on to say this in chapter 11, verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is and he will do what he's promised to do. And his promise in our life is, when you put me first, you will enjoy more fullness of me in your life with what's left than you would have if you would have tried to start with you first. I can't tell you what he'll give you and how it's going to work and what the blessings are going to be, but I am 100% confident there will be blessing in your life when you start to prioritize your giving and put him first. I want you to hear a story of a guy that came to our church, and he was one of those people that we invested in through our giving years ago. And then he became one of those people that helped all of this happen. I want you to hear about his journey and his story. Take a look. My name is John Perry. I started coming to LifePoint about eight years ago. Growing up, our family really didn't go to church. So, but my parents did uh, set us up in a system where we could learn about God. But as a family, we didn't typically attend church regularly. For me, giving was about, you know, they would pass these baskets by each week. And for me, it would be a matter of, do I have something in my pocket that's mine and what don't I need that I can give? So for me, it was like some days it would be a single dollar bill and you'd fold it up as much as you can and make it look like a nice wad and you drop it in the basket. Um, you might step up your game and drop a five spot in there or sometimes you'd see a 20. So for me, it, it was just a, it was a practice of just putting something in the basket that um, almost meant nothing to me because remember it was about for me I don't need this so since I don't need it I guess you can have it even when I started attending LifePoint the culture I grew up with so how how I viewed things coming into this church was really no different I was just at this point it was a radical change for me from where I'd come from stepping into this church and um, sure enough the baskets were coming around again so again that's kind of where my thought process was I don't think it was odd that when I came here I wasn't prepared to give because it took a while to get to understand the meaning of what's being passed in front of me you know I, I had to take the time and reflect and say who are we what are we doing and why are we doing this because where most of my life was a coincidence, 
I can look back today and say, man, God put that person, put that person, that person, and I can connect all these dots and say thank you. You know, so for me, it's a way of appreciation. It's a way of saying, man, you were so patient with me. And just thankful that there were people that he put and used their talents, their finances, their their abilities, their time. That got me here today. And if something that I can do, if it's hitting a drum, if it's saying hello, if it's part of my giving that can affect somebody to the point that would maybe get them to where I feel I am today and the peace that that's brought me, that's rewarding to me. I don't know if that's selfish or not, but I would love to be able to provide for somebody in that way that I feel was done for me. So going way back to when the baskets passed, that was mine. So what I didn't need, you can have the leftover. And the perspective today is, man, none of this is mine. None of it is.